Welcome to the Grassroots Podcast, a platform for agricultural producers to share their stories and engage with consumers. We are your hosts, Aaron and Laura. Today on the Grassroots Podcast, I got to do something kind of fun. Rather than the more traditional one-on-one interview, we did more of a conversation. As a young girl growing up, my grandfather served as the Commissioner of Agriculture under Governor Levitt. And so I always knew what the Department of Agriculture and Food did for the state of Utah. However, doing this podcast has made me start thinking about things through the consumer lens, and I realized that many people may not know what goes on there. So I reached out to a friend, Leanne Hunting, the Director of Animal Industry for UDAF, or the Utah Department of Agriculture and Food. While setting up the interview, she reached out to me and said that I also would have the opportunity to interview the new state veterinarian if I would like, and I jumped at it. I tried setting up two separate interviews, but then realized that it would be better together. They brought different perspectives, and they were both experts in the field of animal health and wellness. So today is a two-parter. You're going to get the beginning today, but make sure that you tune in in a few weeks to catch the second half. It was a lot of fun from two people who share a lot of passion for agriculture and who are working really hard to serve not only farmers, ranchers, and producers in this state, but all consumers. So guess what? That's you and me. So enjoy as you hear from Leanne Hunting, Director of Animal Industry at UDAF, and Dr. Dean Taylor, the State Veterinarian. Um, so if both of you um, would please introduce yourselves. You can introduce who you are personally, your ties to agriculture, and your current occupations or your roles with the Department of Ag and as a state vet. Okay, I'm Leanne Hunting. I am the Director of Animal Industry as well as the Brand Bureau Chief. And what that means is at the Department of Agriculture, we have quite a few different divisions to represent different sectors of agriculture. There's plant industry, regulatory services, and on and so forth. And I'm the director over animal industry, which oversees any animal alive or dead, agricultural animal alive or dead in the state of Utah. And I mentioned dead because we have a meat and poultry inspection program, as well as a diagnostic lab where they they run tests on um, livestock animals that have gotten sick and they need to determine what they were, uh, what the cause of death was. And um, as as brand bureau chief, I oversee our brand program, which is a program within animal industry. I grew up in Thatcher, Idaho, which is north of Preston. Um, My family had a large farm and ranch there. We had a lot of kids and we all had to contribute. We went to town maybe once or twice a month and got a surplus of groceries and then we lived off of what we grew. So we had a large garden and we learned to can and and utilize the land um, to the best of its ability. And I learned a lot of things growing up there, um, but primarily about how much more rewarding it is to work for something like that, to to work in agriculture and reap the benefits of uh, your your efforts. Um, And then after I uh, graduated from high school, from Grace High School, I went to Utah State University. I majored in agricultural communications and journalism. 
I wrote the agricultural beat for the Utah Statesman. I ended up becoming the first Utah beef ambassador for the Utah Cattlemen's and Cattlewomen's Association. Because of that um, experience, I was able to uh, be selected to go to Washington, D.C. and intern with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My internship there was about six months, and uh, it was it was a very eye-opening experience to how policy impacts uh, producers. And so after I got back from my internship there, I finished my degree. All the while, I worked for the U.S. Forest Service. Um, it's what helped put, my, put me through school. When I graduated, they had a vacancy in Idaho Falls, and I traveled there and did communications for the Forest Service. Um, I ended up meeting my husband and having to come to Utah. And since then, I've had a variety of experiences working within agriculture. And ultimately, I met Carrie Gibson while I was working at the Department of Natural Resources for Forestry, Fire, and State Lands. And when he became the Commissioner of Agriculture almost nine months ago, um, he appointed me to this position. Since then, he has resigned from that position and we have an interim commissioner, Kelly Pearson. He's doing a great job and we are uh, looking forward to what the future holds for the Department of Agriculture. But as my uh, agricultural ties relate now, I, I married a man who's a rancher. Um, he, we have a small ranch there in McKinnon, Wyoming, and then we lease ground in Hooper, Utah. So we truck our cows back and forth and we have to utilize our resources just like everyone else does. Um, when the market's low, it hurts us just like it hurts everyone else. And um, so we, we share those emotions with the rest of the producers in the state. I'm Dean Taylor. I have been the state veterinarian since December. My history is I grew up in Fruit Heights and though we didn't make our any of our living to support our family uh, through agriculture. We did have a small farm where we raised some registered Herefords. We've had horses throughout our life. And this is probably what uh, drove me with the desire to become a veterinarian. Animal industry, uh, agriculture is in our family. We've got a number of relatives who both ranch and farm in Utah, Idaho, and Wyoming. When I graduated high school, I went to Utah State and entered the pre-veterinary program up there and then continued on to Colorado State where I graduated in 1991. When I started working as a veterinarian, I began that up in Evanston, Wyoming and developed even a stronger bond towards ranchers and that lifestyle. I've got many very close friends that I maintain to today. Uh, after I was there for just a few months, I met my wife through one of my clients in Wyoming and returned home to Utah, where I started my own business in 1994 and saw all large animals. But then as, as the need and the demand for food animal decreased along the Wasatch Front, eventually I restricted my practice to just horses. So I owned a practice out in Weber County for the past 25 years and then accepted this position as a state vet in December. Great, so as a follow-up question really quick for you, Dr. Taylor, what is the role of the state veterinarian? Why do we need one? What do you do as the state veterinarian? Um, just kind of answer that question, because I, I, I will tell you, I'm not that familiar with it, and we actually have a ranch ourselves, and um, so if I'm not that familiar with that, I know a lot of, a lot of people must not be. 
Sure, you bet. I've actually learned more about the job since being here than I knew even as a veterinarian practicing here in Utah. But the state veterinarian has a few roles. The, the biggest role is that he oversees the animal health of the entire state. So we work together with the producers and the issues that they face to make sure that their travel interstate is safe, that we don't have something brought into the state that is gonna get set up in our, in our herds here in Utah and protect the, the livelihoods that they have. In addition to this, we also um, deal with some disease outbreaks. So if something were to come in, any kind of a disease that we don't want in the state of Utah, then it's, it would be my responsibility to set forth a plan so that that was kept under control and eliminated as quickly as possible. So that would include restricting travel, quarantines where necessary and things like that. Then the other thing that I really didn't recognize prior to becoming a state vet is that animal welfare issues are also something that come through the doors here. And so we work to make sure that, uh, that animals are well cared for and taken, taken care of in the way that they should be. And so do you, um, is your, I guess as the state veterinarian, are you under that umbrella of the Department of Ag? Yes, I am, yeah. So next, the next question then is for you, Leanne. Will you talk to me kind of about what the Department of Agriculture and Food does for the state, for producers, for non-producers? I know that's kind of a broad question, but um, your guys' role is very important and I, I would like other people to understand that as well. Yes, the primary role of the Department of Agriculture is to ensure the safety of the consumer's product. So uh, whether that's vegetables or cannabis, uh, me medical marijuana, or um, our meat products, it, it is our role to ensure that the agricultural products produced in this state are wholesome and safe for consumers to feed their families, to put on their table. What Commissioner Gibson, the former commissioner, used to talk about was how his favorite role of the department is to advocate for agriculture. He liked to go around and, and remind people that um, without agriculture, you would be hungry and naked and uh, a lot worse off and that we are a thriving industry despite what you might hear otherwise. And he loved to highlight the success of the producers in our state. And I too think that's a, the, the most important role <laughs> really is to just share our message about agriculture, kind of what you're doing here with this grassroots podcast, but specifically with animal industry, um, we have quite a few different programs. We have our domesticated elk program, which ensures that we uh, keep our domesticated elk herds separated from our wild um, population. We have our brand inspection program, which I'll elaborate on a little bit um, in the future, but it protects our livestock industry. And because we have such uh, large amounts of federal land in this state, we have our animal health program that Dr. Taylor will talk about, um, our fish health program. We have our meat and poultry inspection program and those folks go in and ensure that uh, our processing and slaughter facilities are sanitary, that products are properly labeled and that the meat that you are picking up at the grocery store is as good of a product as you can find. And then um, one program that was recently added to animal industries, our predator control program, which is a very hot topic this time of year. It's been a very hot topic since I started with the department nine months ago. But as you've seen during this legislative session, there are quite a few bills to help producers and uh, sportsmen alike 
help reduce the number, the increasing number of predators in the state. And then the last program that we just recently acquired under Animal Industry is our Horse Racing Commission. So Dr. Taylor is overseeing that Horse Racing Commission rather closely and uh, ensuring that those horse races that take place in this state are meeting the certain requirements. But um, the rest of the department, like I mentioned, is just there to ensure the safety of our our agricultural products in this state and not only that but to protect producers in a lot of cases we're like an insurance policy for example when we issue licenses it's saying that you have met all of your requirements and are good to do business um, when you get a registered brand for your animal that ensures that should somebody steal your livestock and go to sell them that that uh, was is kind of your insurance or your title to those livestock, which helps when uh, when live law enforcement has to intervene. You also monitor um, like ways and means, correct? Yes. Ways yeah. and means. Uh huh. I always thought that was so interesting. I didn't realize that until one day I was filling up with gas and I saw that the Department of Agriculture and Food on there, and I thought. I didn't realize that that was housed there too. So a lot of what you guys are geared towards is just consumer protection as well as producer protection, right? You want to make sure that what people are getting is, yes, is the product they're paying for. That's yeah. correct. And I think that's great. Another part of weights and measures is to, or, or regulatory is to oversee what goes inside of a mattress, which I found very interesting. So we're all over from the, from the products you buy to the food you consume, the Department of Agriculture has a hand in all of it. This episode is brought to you by the Utah Farm Bureau Federation, whose motto is to inspire all Utah families to connect, succeed, and grow through the miracle of agriculture. For more information, visit www.utahfarmbureau.org. So you brought up, Leanne, just barely, the brand inspection program. And uh -huh. it's a hot topic amongst farmers and ranchers. We've been hearing a lot about it. But what it's raised, because this podcast is designed, we want to be educating consumers. And that includes agriculturalists, but people that maybe don't know a whole lot about agriculture. and I think it raises different questions with them. I think they want to know, why are you branding? Um, is it healthy for the animal? What, why is it necessary? And is it safe for the animals? And so I'm hoping we can maybe address some of those um, non-producer concerns about the brand issue first, and then maybe talk about why it's a hot topic with producers. Is that, is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. Yep, because I could talk all day about the program aimed toward producers, but aimed toward consumers is a little bit different. Our brand program, it exists uh, to ensure the safety of our livestock industry, but consumers are interested in knowing why we brand our animals. Um, branding livestock has been a tradition that's taken place among ranchers for hundreds of years. I found old oral, old newspapers and books that reference a hot iron that they used to put on livestock. So it's been a tradition carried through generation to generation, which um, really brings a lot of nostalgia to the program because as we have folks renew their brands, it, it reminds them of their grandparents or their great grandparents and the experiences they shared with them. But producers brand their animals, as I mentioned before, as an insurance policy to state claim to the fact that they own those livestock. It is a uh, 
a source of revenue just like anything else, which I think a lot of people forget. Oftentimes I'll get calls and say, well, it's just a cow. I don't think they realize the monetary value attached to a cow, especially as it relates to a, a rancher who's trying to make ends meet as the world increases to continues to increase pushing agriculture out, you know, whether that's building homes, developing more, um, scrutinizing that industry more and more. A cow is worth quite a bit of money. But to summarize why ranchers brand their animals is to ensure that if that animal gets lost, if it gets out on the road, um, that it can be returned to its rightful owner because it's worth a lot of money to a producer. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. So, and actually I'm going to ask Dr. Taylor a question from you're a veterinarian. You are a specialist in animal health right. and wellness. You can be honest. What, I mean, are there, do, can we put it their mind at ease that it's safe for the animals or, you know, are there concerns? Can you speak to the fact that, that this is safe to the, to those animals, what these producers are doing by branding? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, I, I won't sit here and pretend that that is comfortable when a, an animal gets branded with a hot iron, but it falls down to the skill of the person doing that. And most of these ranchers are not looking to do anything to these animals that is going to decrease weight gain and uh, cut their profits. So if that brand is applied correctly, um, as far as long-term damage to that animal, there is none. And, you know, in other industries, they will um, sometimes do freeze brands, which result in a little bit less scarring and, and you've got just the white hair to identify that animal. And so aside from this, I want to just kind of make one more comment on what uh, Leanne said, which is brands serve a purpose. There's a lot of other methods and people are always bringing up, why don't you chip them like dogs? Why don't you do this mm -hmm. or that? And most producers want people to see their animals are marked from the road. All these other items, they have no distinguishing mark when they're just walking around the field out there. So the reason that the brands are persisting is that that tells people at a distance that that horse or that cow or whatever it is that's branded is, is marked and they aren't gonna be able to get very far with that. But as far as the health of the animal, um, I've seen thousands of cattle that were branded and if done correctly, those heal up quickly and those animals, there are no long-term effects from it that I've seen. Great, thank you. And I, so I grew up on a cattle ranch and so branding was part of, you know, when you talked about the nostalgia, Leanne, that kind of spoke to me because, I mean, my family's brand is, is it is, it's nostalgic to me, but um, the act of doing that, like you said, Dr. Taylor, we would have people call the house if the cows were out and immediately you could say you know what is the brand on it you know is that ours is it our neighbors where does that go especially if it's a, a calf or a younger animal it needs to get back to the right place or it's not going to make it and so um, I appreciate you bringing up those points it um, it's very valid and I I appreciate hearing you both say those things so um we have sign here in our office that says a brand is the cow's return address label. So because we have so many um, public lands here in Utah and we're co-mingling herds, the only way to return that cow to its rightful owner is that brand. Yeah, um, we would always, we ran on a few permits and we would always come home and not all the time, but occasionally you'd get going and you're like, that's, 
that's not ours. And so you would have to contact that person. Cause like you said, Leanne, those cows or those sheep or, or that animal has a monetary value and uh, it, it matters who ends up with it and it, and it matters who that belongs to. Um, and so uh, I, I just, I don't know that most people understand what a brand actually does. So thank you very much. I've gotten some questions about why we don't brand pigs or why we don't brand sheep or why we don't brand, in fact, if you can believe it, poultry. <laughs> but why is it just specific to horses and cattle? And the truth is we don't have pigs out on public lands. They're confined and usually next to the, the owner's property. It's not like you have a pasture, you're dumping pigs out, you know, in southern Utah, but you actually live in northern Utah. So there's not the need to brand a pig to return it to its rightful owner. Um, like I mentioned, they're not commingled. I think for obvious reasons, um, we don't brand poultry and there's actually, for the exact same reasons as pigs they just aren't in places where they can get lost and need to return to their owners um, sheep are a little bit different uh, people register earmarks here with the state for their sheep herds but you as you know you, you shear a sheep so branding it wouldn't do much good yeah um we actually raise sheep that's what my husband and i do um there are those paint brands that people will do but they're temporary um right yeah, and once you share them, that's gone, and you would have to do it again the following year. So, um, but the same purpose, but like you said, with a cow um, or a horse, you can do that that brand that one time and and have that there. So, um, so you know, the purpose of our our podcast is to educate consumers about common misconceptions in ag. And I know that there's a thousand of them. You, we just talked for a while about one, which was branding. But I want to hear what you guys hear. You're being approached by the public as you know, public officials. What are you guys hearing that is just not true? And what can we do to shed some light on those common misconceptions? And you can both take turns and we can talk about them, but let's go there. Uh, so misconceptions that, uh... I haven't been here a long time to get a lot of feedback from clients, but they're um, the majority would probably go around the well animal welfare issues um, that I get through my office, and people have the misconception that uh, ranchers are interested in don't have any interest in the welfare of their animals, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, these are their their livelihood and an unhealthy animal or a mistreated animal is is simply not going to make market weight um, they're going to lose money if they don't take take care of these animals so that would be the number one concern that i hear um, from people out in the general public one miss and i would like to piggyback off of dr taylor's answer one misconception i hear is that all agricultural producers are big conglomerates they're not small farmers and ranchers which is what the majority of our agriculture industry is made up of are these family ranches not these large um, commercially owned ranches or or farms 
But uh, Dr. Taylor mentioned animal welfare, and in my experience growing up on our farm and ranch, in most cases, our animals were treated better than we were as children. For example, my dad always made sure the animals had food and water, and I can remember being hungry in an afternoon, and he always <laughs> made sure to administer their, uh, their shots and make sure that they were given the um, medical attention they needed, if they had any kind of um, disease come up or sickness come up, they always got attended to and he would just tell me to buck up, you know. So <laughs> I, I think about um, as we calved, you know, how my dad would go out in the middle of the night and bring a baby calf in just to keep it warm in our home. Um, I, I woke up multiple mornings and there was a calf in our bathtub. And so I look at the way he cared for our livestock. And I know that's the way that producers all around the state care for their livestock. In most situations, they're taken better care of than their own children. And that's not to say I wasn't taken care of. I'm just saying they got more medical attention and more delicious feed and all of those things than even I did. And I hate to stop it there, but we have hit the halfway point. We have not finished talking about misconceptions in ag, and these two are just getting started. It will be worth your time to check back next time to finish this interview with Dr. Dean Taylor and Leanne Hunting, both with the Utah Department of Agriculture and Food. Until then, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Grassroots Podcast. If you loved the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend, and we will see you next time.